And this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, I'm joined by Josh Duncan, who is an on-air personality at 104.1 The Dock, a great radio station up here just north of Toronto. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, now, now, Josh, we had met last year when I was doing the uh, promotional cycle for All My Favorite People Are Broken, and uh, you were kind enough to interview me on 104.1 about the book. And, and during that interview, it was unique in the sense that, you know, sometimes interviews can tend to get mechanical. You say the same things over and over again. But you and I had a, a good conversation because I could tell that you were really keyed into what I was trying to do in the book. And uh, that's why I'd reached out to you to be on the show today. Well, I mean, two guys sitting in the forest, uh, you know, drinking beers and other things and talking about music was a good, a good thing to hear. <laughs> Great. It, it, but, you know, you, you got it, right? I mean, I, I, I felt like I we talked about, and I think I told you this on the show, we, should we go to, you know, Austin, Texas, or should we go to a music city? But, you know, I felt like it was it was important to, to isolate ourselves and, and really focus on the music instead. And, of course, you need beer to do something like this. <laughs> right the two go hand in hand that's right so so josh i've got your list here of the songs that uh, make josh duncan feel something and uh let's get started by you telling us a little bit about how it came together and what kind of thought you put into your list that you've made here and that sort of thing uh to be uh, quite honest this was a hell of a lot harder than i thought it would be <laughs> i thought i would wait i honestly i thought i'd wait last minute to pick you know seven eight songs that i, I like and uh, you know I, i'd put a song on a list and i thought well i'm not feeling that right now and then yeah to narrow it down to seven eight songs that really kind of hit you was uh, a lot harder than i thought so i kind of went through songs from different genres i enjoy and just tried to whittle it down that way yeah yeah you know it's funny a lot of people had that same problem people i was talking to somebody um on another episode and it took them you know weeks because they kept going back and saying eh, i don't know about this one and they you know so it's uh, it's an arduous exercise for sure but uh, at the same time it's, <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun right yeah for sure i actually almost emailed you yesterday with a completely different list <laughs> <laughs> that has also happened but, before but no <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the list that you've got here starts off with uh, a great tune, Motorhead, Ace of Spades. Yeah, um, honestly, I, Motorhead is just, I don't, Lemmy is the last rock and roll god to me. And I mean, you see all these other rock stars, I think, who talk about, you know, how they live the, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle. But, you know, they're on the, the private jets, they're, you know, sipping the cognac. But Lemmy was, you know, riding the buses through Norway in the middle of winter, sipping on his jack. I just think he was the last, you know, true rock and roll god. And I think that song just, you know, encapsulates everything that he was. Agree. I was talking to a guy from Nashville yesterday, a buddy of mine, and we were doing an episode and he... um he actually interviewed Lemmy, one of the final interviews before he passed away, and uh, said he was a fantastic guy. But, you know, we both agreed that, that Lemmy was, you know, one of Rock's real outlaws. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, he was the one that gave the middle finger till he died and didn't <laughs> give a rat's ass what anyone thought right to the end. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, he was just that, like you say, that last rock and roll rebel. He's he fantastic. Yeah. And Ace of Spades is a great song. Well, there's so many good ones, but I mean... Just the lyrics in that are just such a rock and roll song. I mean, you know, playing for the high one, dancing with the devil, you know, going with the flow, it's all a game to me. And you can actually picture him 
you know, just living that life. And I just think the the imagery that he portrays, it's just perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's Lemmy personified, basically. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It was sad at the end because you saw footage and you, you knew something wasn't quite right with him. Yeah. And I think that was also, you know, him being the last rock and roll outlaw, as you say, it was also his downfall because instead of, you know, getting his cancer diagnosed relatively early, he just you know, was out on tour and doing festivals and, and standing up on stage and playing rock and roll and uh, probably killed him, but it's probably the way he wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no question. Definitely no question. One of the greats, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, your your next tune, Josh, uh, is Sounds of Silence, a little bit of a departure from Ace's Fates. <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. You know what? Um, I love the heavier side of music, and I always thought, you needed to be louder and heavier than anyone else mm-hmm. to to get that attention. And I watched it. It was a YouTube video several years ago, mm-hmm. and it was just Simon and Garfunkel up on stage. It was this big open air festival, probably I don't even know seventy five hundred thousand people, mm-hmm. and they were captivated by this song. And mm-hmm. I was mesmerized. There wasn't a single person screaming or yelling. You always get that one tool in the back, you know, <laughs> hooting and hollering. But it was it was complete and utter captivation by two guys two voices and an acoustic guitar and i was blown away wow that the power of that you know soft song had on on that amount of people and i was like wow you don't need to be louder and, and heavier than anyone else that's all you need is is the message and I, it really stuck with me you know years later was that your um are you a simon and garfunkel fan not particularly i mean there's a couple of songs i enjoyed the melodies but i can only you know, you have to be in a certain mood, I think, if you're kind of melancholy and yeah. just looking to, to chill out a little bit. So, no, I'm not even a big fan, handful of songs, but that song, I love the lyrics. But I remember um, reading Paul Simon in an interview many years ago saying, you know, that was one of his first songs. He hates the lyrics, didn't like them. Really? Yeah, he said he, he wasn't exactly enthralled with them, but he said uh, lyrics don't matter if you have the right melody mm-hmm. when, you know, playing your song. And I was like, that's great because the melody's so great in that song. And I thought, you know what? Even if you didn't have the lyrics, which I think are great, um, you know, it's still it's just enough to captivate you. And it's just a yeah, it was just a, one of those moments that stuck out for me. Yeah, I uh, like you. I'm not a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan. I agree that you have to be in a certain mood. I think it's, you know, Sunday afternoon music to a degree. Um, oh, yeah. I, I've always been a big Paul Simon fan because, you know, his big thing was to approach uh, songwriting from a percussive perspective first. And, and his thing was that he he would always lay down kind of the beats and, and the percussion that he wanted to use and then build a song on top of that, uh, which is completely not what Sounds of Silence is. So, um, no. <laughs> well, actually, I like I think I like probably solo Paul Simon. Uh, much more than I do Simon and Garfunkel. Like I really enjoy that Graceland was a great album. And, oh, me too. You know, so on. And he just it was just such a he was just so um, he didn't care where he went. I think with the music he would try anything, and you know if it stuck, it stuck. But you know I, I like people that experiment, and he definitely did that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, next on your list, you have got a song that I love. Uh, Grace 2 by the Tragically Hip. Well, as a, a, a 40-ish uh, old uh, year old Canadian, I mean, the hip are woven through as in you your DNA. also can attain to. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, I mean, there's not a, a summer or a memory or a cottage or a, you know, a road trip that goes by that you don't remember at least one hip song. And I, that's not even actually my favorite hip song. The reason I chose that was um, I went to, I was lucky enough to get tickets to the, the final tour, one of uh-huh. the shows in Toronto. Cool. And uh, 
when that song, when they played that song, you could really see, you know, the emotion uh, from Gord Downey. And like, you know, every Canadian, when you, you heard the news of his, you know, terminal brain cancer last year, it was yeah. it was pretty devastating. It I don't, was. Uh, you know, rock stars and celebrities are what they are. I don't generally get too worked up, but I was, I was bona fide, you know, kind of shocked about that. And uh, I remember the uh, the final show from Kingston, watching it with a bunch of friends at a cottage, which is cliche but perfect. Yeah. And I remember them playing that song, and at the end, you know, where he's yelling, and you know, screaming no, and you can see, yes. at least I thought, the moment where like all that anger and um, you know uh, the sadness and the emotion and the whole thing just kind of you know blew out of him up on stage, and it was yes. probably the most powerful thing I've seen in a concert. Yeah, and you could see it in the crowd's faces. There was this, oh, yeah. you know, sense of, of sadness and anguish. I noticed, and, and and I felt it too. I mean, because you're right, you you saw him in a completely different light, and it was it was really really sad. Yeah, it really really was. And I remember, like, I'm not an emotional person by any means, but I got a text from my brother about two seconds after that moment, and he's like, "Holy shit!" And that's all he said. Yeah. Yeah, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Like it was, it was a powerful, it sad was. moment. It was extremely powerful. Yeah, you know, it, Grace too. I remember. I was thinking about this when I was looking at your list. Actually, the first time I had heard that song, and and I think that you know when this record came out, it was probably, regardless of what your favorite is, it's not my favorite. But um, I think this was the hip at their zenith. You know, this was like when the hip was like at the top of their game. And, and just before this record came out, there was anticipation. And I was thinking that, you know, this is probably one of the last times that I was actually excited about a record coming out. Because when did this come wow. out? Like 90, I want to say 94, 95, around there somewhere. 96. Yeah, early to mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this track kicked off the record. And I remember hearing those subdued bass notes, you know, it was just kind of mid-tempo and this joy kind of washed over you like that, you know, the hip is back, man. Here we go, right? <laughs> yeah. It, that's, it, uh, that makes me sad. That makes me sad that that's the last record you were truly excited about that many years. Josh, I know. I, I, I know, me too, seriously. I, but I can't think of another one, though. Yeah, it, it, they're fewer and far between, that's for sure. Have you got one of those? Like last since then? I was truly excited for like anticipation so you knew um, it was coming out and and you know you couldn't wait to hear it you know what it's been a while like i haven't i haven't thought about that so i don't have an answer right off the tip of my tongue but yeah, yeah. it's been a it's been a few years that's for sure i think the thing is too is a lot of my favorite bands i think still put out records but mm -hmm. you know they're not to say their best work is behind them but you know, you know, the like, as you say, the Zenith was there. And, yeah. you know, I think sometimes it's disappointing to get a record from a band you love because it may not, you know, like I love the hip and there's always two or three hip songs I love on every album, even the latest. Yeah. But it just never stacked up. Right. So there was exactly. always that kind of tinge of disappointment. No, I agree. And I think that every band kind of has that plateau, obviously, you know, and mm -hmm. you can with with every band that you love, you can you can mark where that plateau is kind of the, the ascension the plateau and then you know the decline and so i think that yeah. you know for me with the hip it was it was that record yeah that was definitely a good four record run for them <laughs> oh for sure yeah see my favorite record by them is road apples mine too actually is it really yeah three pistols is probably my favorite uh hip song yeah but i just that moment i just i just you know grace too is just always gonna have that memory attached to it for for better or for worse i guess yeah uh, that's fantastic. I, I I completely agree, and I I'd actually forgotten about that. 
but uh, you're right, very poignant moment and uh, unfortunately a very sad moment too. Even the show, I mean, the, the show in Toronto was just, um, everyone was super stoked to be there to see the hip. Yeah. And everyone was super sad because you knew it was the last time you were going to see them. So there's, it was this weird dichotomy yeah. during the show. It was, it was, it was something. I kind of got the sense just, I mean, I wasn't there, but just from watching that it was weirdly commemorative almost, which sounds so strange, yeah. but right. It was almost therapeutic too, because, you know, as a fan, you're sad because there's this man who's dying, like he's mm-hmm. dying up on stage and, yeah. and you could, you could tell he wasn't right. And, yeah. you know, but you're, you're rooting for him and he was you know, to his credit, he would put on a fantastic show. Definitely. Um, but yeah, there was just, it's almost, a, it was a therapeutic moment because you were just happy to kind of see him. Yeah. And you were kind of happy to see him not completely fall on his face. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I hope that he was happy to see everyone too, obviously. Yeah. You, you got that vibe. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And you know, we are all rooting for him. There's no question. Oh, for sure. Your next song, Josh, is Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana. Yeah. Um, I am way too young for the Beatles or Elvis, but <laughs> yeah. I I am. But I, I, I feel like Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nevermind, was that cultural shift in music. Like it was, I remember when that album came out, it seemed, and I'm, I'm sure it's just, you know, looking back and, and a bad memory, but it seemed like overnight everything changed yeah everyone was wearing plaid and and ripped jeans and you know there was no more warrant and skid row it was you know seattle and uh yeah i mean for me that was just such a huge i'm not even a huge nirvana fan like i enjoy them uh but i just remember that cultural shift and it was just it blew me away to see yeah it just the whole landscape changed It, it it really did and it was a it was a marked change i remember you know, I remember being a little bit angry because, uh, you know, I had had an affinity for these bands. And, you know, granted, the genre got a little bit silly with the Danger yeah. Dangers and the, you know, the, the <laughs> you know what I mean, right? The Tricksters and those yeah. goofy kind of C-level bands that, that came after the good ones. Um, but I almost feel like uh, Nirvana, the rise of Nirvana and the rise of Pearl Jam and the rest of those bands, Alice in Chains, was almost like an overcorrection against the, mm. the bloat of that kind of goofy, glammy hair metal. And, I mean, it, it, almost in the same way that punk was against, uh, you know, the, the big stadium rock like REO Speedwagon and Sticks and all those bands of the 70s. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but, I mean, I look back and Alice in Chains are still one of my, you know, go-to bands. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even I even I even like their last two records with, uh, you know, the new singer they have. But, yeah. you know, Sound, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, like, I still love those bands. And I just yeah. remember reading the lyrics the first time I got the record. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. Like, an albino, a mosquito? What, <laughs> yeah. what the hell is this nonsense? <laughs> yeah, me too. I did the same thing. I'm like, why is everyone identifying with these lyrics? I don't yeah. understand. I get the, the angst and... You know, everybody was was angry at the time, and yeah. you know, but it was just that perfect age when that album came out, and and yeah, I just I think that's one of the most important records of the last, I'd say, forty years, thirty five years. I, I I agree, yeah, and you know, like it or not, I mean, you have to respect it. I fully respect uh, Nirvana. I, I respect this song, and you know, given my bias, I mean, I I still think it was a good idea that this that this came about. Um, I've never been like you. I've never been a big Nirvana fan just because mm-hmm. 
I always kind of felt like this was the first time in my life that music wasn't written for me anymore. You know, because I saw the Nirvana fans. I was, I, I don't know how, how old you are, Josh. I'm, I'm 47. So when this came out, I was, I think I was 22 or 23. And, um, you know, I saw the, you know, the, the new kind of almost you know, like fashion wave coming through people wearing those flannel shirts and kind of, um, it was very, it was very much the reverse of what was going on previous to that. And it's interesting. It's interesting you say that, you know, when the album came out and when Pearl Jam came out mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. um, you know, the 10 album, I rebelled against it really? to a certain extent because I thought, yeah, because I thought it, I, I really liked them when they first came out. And then I was young. I was 15 years old or whatever. Yep. And uh, so it became popular and well, if it's popular. I'm not going to like it anymore. Like, you're right. It became right. so it became hit. It became fashionable to like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. That's right. right? Exactly. So, I, it, I backed off, but well said. The alternative was now mainstream, ironically, right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I saw, and I thought I I don't like this. I'm I'm looking at this from the outside, looking in, and it was the first time that I felt like I was excluded from a musical movement because you know it was kind of weird to 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 see that and to feel that, and I think that that you know, stupidly, I mean, in hindsight, kind of bred some resentment towards Nirvana. But, you know, I I, I, <laughs> I loved Pearl Jam. I absolutely loved Pearl Jam before all of that stuff happened. And then it was like, I, I, like you, I mean, when, when things like that kind of hit critical mass, I, I, I'm usually the first guy to bow out. A perfect example for me is Metallica. I love Metallica. And then the Black Album came out, and yeah. I couldn't get that record off my, my CD player fast enough. I was tired. I was bored of it. Agree. I was that kid who was wearing um, the Master of Puppets t-shirt to high school and getting ridiculed for it. You know. <laughs> and then Nothing Else Matters is on the radio now, and people are singing along to it. And I'm thinking, like, how did this happen? What happened here? I remember my mom loving Nothing Else Matters. Oh. Oh, <laughs> it's over. Metallica's, Metallica's jumped the shark. I'm exactly. gone. And then their next couple of albums were whatever. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> but looking back, that was just stupid high school me. And, you know, you should I should have enjoyed it a little more perhaps. But Yeah. <laughs> well, 2020 hindsight, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the next song you've got here, also a gem. It is War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Great yeah. tune. Yeah. Sabbath changed, uh, I think, everything for me. I, you know, in the mid 80s, you know, late 80s, there was just hair rock. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, 10 years old in 1987. So that's what I'm thinking is is great music. I mean, you know, Sweet Cherry Pie, what a great song. Yeah. And um, some, somebody put on Paranoid, the, uh, the album. And I was like, what the? fuck is this like yeah. this is great yes and ever since then i've just you know become a, a a fanatic i guess about sabbath and i i really like um late 60s music i think that was the greatest period in, in musical history mm. and i always picture sabbath coming along after all these you know hippie bands and just stomping the hell out of them and i think that's a fantastic image <laughs> i can actually see that <laughs> Aussie. It's just it's it's also it's so simple too. Like their music is not, you know, complicated. It's, it's Tony not. Iommi is just a you know a chord god. He just yeah. wrote all the greatest riffs in, in heavy metal. And if you listen to it now, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's Snowblind. That's Supernaut. That's you know Children of the Grave. Uh, yeah, that and just that song, just the 
the imageries, uh, the imagery uh, that it brings up, I think is, you know, generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. I'm, you know, 12 years old when I first heard this album, like this is the coolest stuff I've ever heard. Yeah, I uh, I remember my first experience with that as well. And it was scary. Black Sabbath was a scary band. And it's funny because, you know, they'll tell you that they were not intentionally a heavy metal band. They were more of a blues band, um, which makes no sense to me th- to this day. But, yeah, um, yeah, War Pigs, uh, a fantastic tune, definitely a hallmark of Black Sabbath. I was, um, I don't know if you if you like Sabotage. That was my favorite Sabbath record. Oh, I love, I love that album. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so underrated. Yeah, me too. You know, start to finish, Megalomania, uh, yeah. Hole in the Sky, all of it. Not a bad Megalomania, track. Megalomania, maybe my favorite Sabbath song, one of them anyway. It's up oh, there really? With, it's up there with Warpig, but it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I even like, uh, I love Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. My dog is named Ronnie James Dio. That's, you know. <laughs> really? That's great. It's, well, it's also a female dog, so I tell people it's Veronica, but it's actually Ronnie James Dio. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> It's the best thing I could come up with. That's great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those two records are good. Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell. I like those two. Voodoo. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I got sad, though, when Ozzy kind of became, uh, you know, he became a parody of himself with the, the reality shows and the, yeah. you know, he was he was being mocked openly and I felt, I felt bad for him. And I'm like, this is the Prince of Darkness. And now he's out there stuttering around, getting made fun of. And I was like, ah. Yeah, I know. I, I think he just looked so um, drug addled and helpless. And it was almost like people were walking him through that, you know, and it was like a satirical exercise. And, and I, I hated that show. It was, you know, it was nice to have insight into kind of Ozzy's personality, but I felt so bad for him because he was being completely exploited. Oh, for sure he was. Yeah. To this day, I saw them this past summer on their, their farewell tour uh, yeah. in Toronto. And uh, you're just, you watch him and you're shocked that he's still able to function in some kind of yeah. passable way yeah have you read his book uh which one was that it was just it's just called aussie or i think it's called i am aussie no i haven't read that one no yeah it, like put a helmet on before you read it like it's it's <laughs> it's he is the most he is the most prolific alcoholic in the history of mankind just the stories about him and that's i think that's why i was disappointed when he was on the show, not that I wish him to be this drug addled, you know, monster, but you know, he was with Lemmy, like they were the two rock and roll rebels. Right. That's right. And then that's right. Lemmy continued on and, and Ozzy just kind of went and did his thing. And it just, for me, his, his music lost that mystique when he kind of, you know, did the reality stuff. Yeah, I agree. You know, and even his first two solo records were fantastic. Diary and Blizzard. I thought those were amazing records, but um, oh yeah, Bark of the Moon was. You know, I, I like Jakey Lee. Um, Ultimate Sin, I think. You know, started to skid a little bit with the Madhouse Wife thing. Ozzy dressing up in robes and yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, that wasn't really uh, scary. It was just weird. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you used to come out here with the the crosses and the the satanic imagery, and now you're right? wearing a robe. I don't understand. Yeah, like a glittery. <laughs> he he looked like B. Arthur, you know, from Mod. <laughs> Poor guy. I am not sure reading the stories of of his 80s uh, life, how the hell he was able to pull it together to release albums and, and hit the road from time to time. 
I know. He's just a, he was a mess. You have to read that book. It's, there are stories in there that will curl your hair. I read the, uh, I read the excerpts about him and uh, Motley Crue uh, oh, back on tour yeah. and uh, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story in there about Motley Crue and it, what a terrible pairing, right? Ozzy and Motley Crue on the road together. Mm-hmm. And apparently Sharon used to try to keep <laughs> Ozzy away from Motley Crue and, you know, obviously he wasn't having it. And so they went out to a Japanese restaurant one night and uh, Ozzy was drinking sake with uh, Tommy Lee, you know, and they were having a, you know, I can drink, <laughs> I can drink more sake than you contest, of course. And so Ozzy all of a sudden wakes up on uh, a freeway on one of the medians. Not where you want to be. <laughs> you know, cars are speeding by in both directions. And to this day, he has no idea how he got there. He was just you know, wasted on sake. I think that kind of I think that kind of sums up the eighties. How does he remember it? He woke up in the nineties naked with <laughs> Pretty you know, clothes much. on in the middle of a highway. With a sake hangover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so your next song here, Josh, Bob Marley. Speaking of um, intoxication, Bob Marley and Three Little Birds. <laughs> yeah, this one uh you know, as you grow older you become more pessimistic of uh, the world around you, I think, at times. And I think everybody le- uh, needs just a little bob to kind of counterbalance the uh, the nihilism uh, around you. And, and uh, you know, that song, you know, I had kids late. I had two kids, uh, you know, turning four and two. So, and I'm 40 years mm-hmm. old. So I waited and I didn't think I was going to have them. I didn't really particularly, you know, care if I did or not. I was, I was set on having them and I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a lot of fathers, I sing that song you know, to my kids when I'm putting them to bed and that, you know, that line, don't worry about a thing, every little thing's going to be all right. And you kind of sing it to them. And I realized one day that I wasn't singing it for them. I think I was singing it more like, hey, you've got two girls that you now have to raise. Yeah. Don't worry, every little thing. And I, I was like, wow, I think I'm actually singing this more for my benefit <laughs> to calm my own old ass nerves down. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great point you make about Bob Marley being kind of the the counterbalance um, in terms of mood because you know you can't not love Bob Marley, right? He's just so mellow and so easy, and I mean it just it it just it's a great vibe. I've always loved him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it just you know it puts it puts you in a setting. You're on a beach, and you know the world's problems are miles away, and you know you. You're, you're you're sparking up a giant fatty and life is good. And I think, you know, it, it just kind of helps, uh, you know, give you a little perspective, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's, I mean, all his songs are like that, right? Oh, for sure. No woman, no cry. Just super groovy, mellow stuff. I love it. And again, it's, it's nothing complicated. It's simple, but it's just, you know, sometimes the simple things are the best things, I guess. Absolutely. Like ACDC. Fully agree. Absolutely. Nice and simple. Um, one thing, though, is uh, I got married in Jamaica, and we actually went, and this kind of made me sad. We went to um, his hometown and his, um, his, um, I guess, his grave, his his memorial, mm-hmm. and it's just this giant tourist trap, and 90% of these people are not fans. They're just there because it's on the on the brochure kind of thing, and mm. uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a bit of a downer to see that, so... Uh. But, uh, I think that he had passed away because he did he contract gangrene. Is that right? He got cancer, um, and I think they found it in his toe. But yeah, I think that's where they found it, and it's 
it's spread from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're smoking that much, I guess. Yeah, oh I God, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that it was detected pretty early on and he just kind of, you know, took the Cavalier route we were talking about earlier and said, eh, I'll deal with it later. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he went for treatment. I think, I think he, you know, he, he was a pretty spiritual guy and, and mm-hmm. uh, he believed rightly or wrongly that, you know, he was going to use his own medicine to, to help cure it. And mm. unfortunately, yeah, he was under 40 anyway. Oh, that's sad. It's a huge waste. Oh, for sure. You, you kind of look at some of these guys at, you know, the 27 club or any yeah. singer that passes away early and you're like, what could you have done? If like when I think it, by the time I'm 27, like I look at Jimi Hendrix, what he accomplished by 27. Yeah. Like I could barely tie my own shoes at 27. I'm thinking, <laughs> look at this guy accomplished when he finally kind of grew into himself, right? Yeah, exactly. That would be really interesting to chart the courses of like a Jim Morrison or you know a Hendrix or even a Randy Rhodes, Ozzy's guitar player, you know, and 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 how they would have developed musically and 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 what their output would have been. Be pretty I love uh, there was a story uh, um, I read about Randy Rhodes where he was taking a lot of classical um, guitar music. Yeah. He wanted to get more into, into classical. And I was and when you listen to his his guitar playing, you can totally hear, especially in the diary oh, album, sure. you can hear the classical influence. It's, yeah. it's cool. I like when musicians kind of branch out. Yeah, I'd, I'd read that he actually was going to quit Ozzy's band um, shortly after he had passed away. He was thinking about quitting because he wanted to go in a more mainstream direction. He didn't want to play heavy metal anymore. Well, he played with Quiet Riot as well, too. And I think yeah. uh, uh, I remember hearing the same thing when he was with them that, you know, he wanted a different direction. So he seemed like a, a, a wandering soul, I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely. Apparently very sheepish and shy and, uh, you know, kept to himself. Pretty quiet guy. I love the story of... Uh, Ozzy interviewing him or whatever you do with a guitarist and, and <laughs> I can't remember if it was Ozzy telling the story but he's saying that he was just almost blackout drunk he's laying on this bus and he, you know <laughs> this guy came in and he almost dismissed him oh. and then in just this you know drunken epiphany said oh wait a minute uh maybe I'll come too and give this another another go <laughs> oh my god really that's crazy yeah oh god that would have been a massive mistake Jeez. <laughs> I think Ozzy's yeah. probably made one or two of those over the course of his life. Oh, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> did you know, on that topic, did you know that Jakey Lee, uh, well, Jakey Lee used to play in Rough Cut, but I think that he he also played for Dio for a little while. I don't think I did, did know that, actually. Yeah, yeah, he was going back and forth. There's a lot of stuff, you know, between Ozzy and Dio, because they were... I know what. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I know Ozzy screwed him over with, uh, they re-recorded his bits on uh, Bark at the Moon. Yeah. Him and uh, Bob Daisley, who played the bass, and him and Sharon, you know, re-recorded it and yeah. to kind of get out of the, the royalties from paying them, which is, you know, a dick move. Yeah, very shady. Yeah, and, and not just Bob Daisley, I think. Who was the, um, was Tommy Aldridge with the drummer, but was it just Bob Daisley or was it somebody else too? I think that there was two. Think- oh, it was uh, Don Airy, I think. Is that right? The keyboard player? Maybe it was a it was a it was, it was a couple of the guys. Anyway. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a completely shady deal. But yeah, uh, next tune, Josh, "Snowblind Friend" by Steppenwolf. Yeah, um, I really like Steppenwolf. I feel like they were an underrated band. I don't I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I just, their greatest hits is one of my favorite um, uh, driving CDs. I guess back yeah. when we had CDs. Um, 
But it always reminds me uh, of a buddy of mine, my best friend, uh, passed away in 1998 in, mm. a, uh, in a snowmobile accident. Mm-hmm. And we used to party and, uh, you know, carry on like 18, 19-year-olds do. And I remember one night a bunch of us were at his place and he was passing out. And he kept yelling out, play one, seven, and nine. Play one, seven, and nine. And I couldn't <laughs> figure out for the life of me what the hell he was talking about. Yeah. And I realized finally that he wanted the CD in his CD player to play the songs one, seven, and nine, uh-huh. which were Born to Be Born to Be Wild, Magic Carpet Ride, and Snow Blind Friend. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right whatever so then he passed away and he passed away from a snowmobile accident the song's all about you know losing someone to 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 a drug overdose but it's just that song that you know reminds you of of him really so every Uh, time i hear that song it just brings kind of a a good feeling and uh yeah it's just one of those ones steppenwolf is just one of those bands where you know you kind of i throw on something from you know 1968 and you're like this band never got the recognition they were known for Born to be wild, and that yeah. was about it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So and that's uh, that song. Yeah, and mildly magic carpet ride. You know, for more the, yeah, the, the more purist sure. kind of fan. But yeah, they were they were a great band. And John Kay, you know, was in Yorkville hanging out with people like Joni Mitchell and and everybody else in in the, in the late sixties in Toronto. And Steppenwolf, I, I completely agree. Very very underrated band. Yeah, John Kay is still uh, he's still trotting it out there. I think. Yeah, he is. Time to time too. Yeah. It's uh, which is that's one of those things I find uh, I don't know hit and miss one of those bands that come back. There's one or you know one original member and they call themselves this band and. Yeah, I I agree, man. And I will not go and you know I won't pay money to go and see that. I'm not a big believer in that. No, you know, no, not at all. The guitar tech from Steppenwolf is <laughs> playing all the hits. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, those are five 20 year old guys in the original keyboardist. <laughs> you're like, well, that's it's not really the same. I can probably see a cover band that does a better job at the local bar. And there are so many of those bands out there now and duplicates of bands. Yeah, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but hair metal is the worst for that. So there's like three rats out there, rat featuring, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's so sad that, and all three of them suck. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Even shame. If they came together as one, they would still suck. Exactly. Just you know, get on with it, deal with it. I don't know. I just, I. It's hard because I, I'm ambivalent. I grew up loving these bands and I worship these bands, and then to watch them just decompose in this way is just such a sad thing. It's like they just don't get it. They have no sense of self-awareness. Well, I don't think they have anything else either, right? Like, yeah. You know, we wrote we wrote a couple of minor hit songs when the hair metal explosion happened, and you know they just they don't have anything to fall back on. So you know, I see why they're doing it, and I guess if people are still paying a couple of bucks to see them, I, I guess you know try to put your kids through college. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty sad at times. It definitely is. Last tune, Josh, you've got uh, "Bad Religion," "New Dark Ages." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. To be honest, I love this song, but I think I was just in a bad religion mood when I was okay. uh, when you when you sent me this. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of thumbing through my iPod, and this song was by far the most played song on my iPod. And I thought, well, I clearly love this song, and I love bad religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I really like bad religion. They're just such thoughtful lyric. I really enjoy thoughtful lyrics, which is why I don't like anything from 2005 onward. Um, <laughs> but which is sad. Get off my lawn. Um, Greg Gaffin, who is 
it, 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 sorry, the, the, the get off my lawn thing, I swear to God, I was just talking about that yesterday morning with somebody saying, I don't want to, I don't want to be that, that old man shaking his fist at the neighborhood kid saying, get off my lawn saying, you know, music used to have so much more meaning and it, it was so much better back in my day. You know, I'm that guy. I'm turning into that bloody guy now, and I don't want to be that guy, you know? <laughs> Here's what I say. I don't think – I think there are a lot of really great up-and-coming bands. Like, I really do. Uh-huh. But you have to find them now. Yeah. Like, the, the stuff on Top 40 is just – that's garbage. I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty empty music. But there is – I'm the same way when people are like, oh, there's no good music. There is, but, you know, it's a lot. It's, you know, rock has these kind of waves where they go, you know, it's popular, and then it's it's down. And right now it's down. And Yeah. Hopefully it'll come back. I agree too. I think that you know, if you turn over enough rocks, I think you're going to find one or two bands that you do like because there's always going to be you know an underground movement to a degree. There will always be kids playing in a garage, you know, that mm. that, that get this upland vibe or whatever it is. But you really, really have to seek those bands out these days. So here's the thing, though, to come full circle. If you find those bands and then they become popular, then you're going to dislike them because now they're popular. You yeah. are preaching As to the choir. Conversation. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. Seriously. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think that um, to a degree that music machine, you know, the, the popularity machine ruins bands. I almost would just like mm-hmm. to put bands in a bubble and not have them know that they're popular or famous or, you know, anything like that and just keep playing and see what happens. Because it's like when bands kind of get a little bit of fame or, or they become well-known, then they, they seem to change. And it's almost like they write records not for themselves anymore, but they write them for um, fans to, to try to perpetuate this acceptance. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then, you you know, you have the, the record companies barking down your shoulder. Saying, yeah. We need this. We need that. Don't hear a single. And, you know, it amazes me. Yeah. And it, it amazes me, you know, being on the very outskirts of the business. But some of the inner workings just to get a band to play a concert Mm -hmm. you know you have to go through so many channels and i can just imagine you know the channels you have to go to to write and record an album and to me i'm like you're a fucking band just get together (laughs) in a back room where nobody's watching and make an album how how hard is it yeah i think it's self-awareness josh i think that's what it is it's just an increased self-awareness that just implodes bands I think there's probably 1% of bands that don't go through that, you know, work your way up from the garage to, you know, a shitty bar to stadiums to then falling off the face of the earth. Like, it, that's the general trajectory that most bands kind of go. And yeah, yeah. You're right. Like, how do you stop that from happening? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a VH1 behind the music special, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's with, ev- it's with every band. It just seems to happen. You're like, I know. Sorry, I completely cut you off. We're talking about New Dark Ages by Bad Religion. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I really love punk music, and I really love uh, I love Bad Religion lyrics because they're very they're thoughtful. Greg Gaffin is uh, the singer songwriter for the band, and he's got a PhD. Like he teaches at a university. He's oh. a brilliant man. And you know, you read the lyrics, and you're like, "What the hell does that mean?" So then I have to Google some <laughs> of the words because you're like, "Who uses these?" But it, it makes you think, and I, yeah. you know, they have such a a nihilist view, I think, sometimes in their songs with a huge sense of optimism, and I kind of, uh, I kind of dig that. So I think that song's just catchy, and yeah, I was just in that mood and uh, threw that one on the list. Very cool. Now this has been uh, this has been a great list, and uh, I want to thank you for the chat. It was a lot of fun. Do you have anything that you want to talk about? Do you have anything you want to plug? No, not particularly. I mean, you uh, gave me the nice plug at the front there. You know, one hundred four point one, the dock. If you want to ever cruise through. 
uh, town and uh, have a listen. But other than that, no, it's been uh, it's been a slice talking talking music. I don't find a lot of people that uh, like to get in depth about it anymore. Yeah, that was cool. No, I, I think you you and I definitely have a lot in common in that we have the same viewpoints, especially um, the fist shaking on the front lawn thing. <laughs> sadly, <laughs> sadly, but truly. <laughs> And we both are sad about it. It's not like we enjoy doing it. Exactly. That's right. I do it begrudgingly. I don't do it happily. Let the record show. <laughs> but like I said, Lemmy's the only guy that ever, you know, never became that fist-shaking guy. He's the rock and roll god did it to the end. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. The last rock and roll outlaw. Lemmy Kilmister for sure. All right, Josh. Thanks very much for uh, your time. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime you need anything, Brent, you let me know. I'm there. Okay, that's great, Josh. Thanks very much. Likewise. No problem. You have a great day. Okay, you too. Take care, man. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my special guest, Mr. Josh Duncan. Until next time, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.